You're listening to the Violence Design Lab Podcast, Episode 7. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab Podcast. Now here's the mad scientist himself, David Barefoot. Hello, fight folks. David Barefoot here. By the time this episode goes live, there will only be 14 days left in the Hotspur Challenge, the contest where you create a theatrical fight using historical sword techniques. Just go to violencedesignlab.com forward slash hotspur, that's H-O-T-S-P-U-R, to get all the information. You'll also see that the contest is sponsored by Gravity and Momentum, the people who bring you Blood Jam, the finest stage blood on the market today. Seriously, this stuff is awesome. So while you're on the Hotspur Challenge page, go ahead and click on the button that says, We Get Bloody with Gravity and Momentum. Try their blood, you won't be disappointed, and the theater that you're working for will thank you. Today's episode marks the first of a three-part series called Creating a Compelling Fight Story. Now, as violence designers, we want to do more than simply put people on stage who are fighting safely and accomplish the fight needs of the script. We want to create an artistic and compelling fight story. And these next three episodes are going to focus on three ways that you can do that. Today's episode looks at finding the fight personality, next week's will be finding the difference, and the third installment will be finding freedom from stage directions. I promise you, you won't want to miss any of these episodes. This episode, Finding the Fight Personality, is really the brainchild of two of my friends, Stuart MacDonald, often called Stumac, and Marcus Byron, These are two amazing fighters and artists who live in Melbourne, Australia, and together they founded the Glenlochlan Estate College of Arms, otherwise known as GLECA. Now before we get to them, I want to apologize in advance for some of the audio quality of their interview. It's not them, trust me, but pulling their voices from halfway around the world through my limited bandwidth sometimes made their otherwise mellifluous Australian accents a bit tinny, so... Try your best to to hang with it. You'll really appreciate everything they have to say. I do appreciate your patience. Now, one of my guests today is Marcus Byron. He has been in theater for over 27 years. He trained with Dr. David Taylor and Charles Flukey, two of the foremost drama teachers in Australia. He trained to act, to sing, to dance, and to do technical theater. But he quickly realized that the technicians backstage had a continuous job while the people on stage changed all the time. And as he wanted to work, he sort of veered off into the tech side, and he's been there ever since, working around the world on amazing projects for live theater, including opera, as well as straight plays. My other guest, Stuart MacDonald, or Stumac, did study theater as a young adult, but then for his career went into human movement science and psychology. He's become an accredited exercise physiologist, which in Australia is the top of the food chain in the fitness hierarchy of of trainers and fitness coaches. And he has tried to bring a lot of that science back into theater. He's also studied martial arts for over 30 years in styles ranging from Japanese to Chinese and a few things in between, as well as the European stuff, or HEMA, which he has done for over 15 years now. 
So these guys both have a foot in the fight world as well as the theater world, and they bring an amazing amount of creativity into their work. One of the first things that really caught my ear was their design philosophy that there are three layers that go into the design of a good fight. There is the vocabulary, which is the fight or stage combat technique. There's the conversation, which is the choreography given to the actors and the stuff that actually makes the story that the play tells us happen on stage. And then there is the fight personality. And this is a combination of who the actor is and how their body moves, as well as the character and the kind of person they're trying to portray on stage. I asked Stuart to explain. So we'll say what um, we were just talking with Dave before, and I said how everyone brings to the fight their own personality, whether they are in in acting or not. Uh, Every person has a unique personality in their fight. Some people are more forward and aggressive. Some people are more defensive. Some people get in close. Some people get underneath the blade, get around the blade. Uh, So to illustrate the point, when I'm fighting against our resident blacksmith, uh, Tim Harris, I... I, I just have to move around him because he's got these strong arms and I, I just can't displace any of his blades. So I have to use this circular fight. And that's now become a bit of a hallmark for how I fight. I always try and get around people because I have to do that around Tim. So when we look at a person coming to the stage, they then have their own fight personality, but they also have the character that they're trying to imbibe on stage. And so so one of the steps that we use is is highlighting to the actor, well, this is how you fight, and here are some possibilities for how your character might fight. And I will, I often encourage them to go back to their acting coach and say, well, here are the options. How can this fit into who my character is? Did you catch that? Stuart is saying that not only do we need to worry about the technique we're using for safety and illusion and the choreography that we're planning to fulfill all the needs of the plays and match what we feel is the goals of the character. But we need to remember that the specific physicality of the actor playing that character is a crucial part of our design. Their height, their weight, how they move, these are all very important factors in figuring out the fight personality. And, of course, that makes sense when you think about it. I mean, imagine you were a tailor or a seamstress, and a woman calls up your shop one day and says, Hi, I'm getting married, and I want you to make me a wedding dress. Great, you say. When can you come in for a fitting? Oh, no, 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 she says. I'll just send you a picture. You can make the wedding dress from that. Now, this, of course, is a ridiculous scenario. We know that no dressmaker would make a dress for a person that they had no idea about their size. It just wouldn't look right on them. Yet, as violence designers, we do this all the time. We see an actor's headshot, maybe their vital statistics on their resume, or maybe the director tells us, yeah, he's about 5'10", seems to move pretty well, kind of athletic, And we go off and design a fight for that person without ever seeing them move. But just like a tailor takes a fitting from a customer, does that mean that we have to meet and work with the actors before we can design choreography? I put the question back to Stuart. Yes, 100%. We've got to have a template. We we fit the fight to the fighter. We don't fit the fighter to the fight. Right. So we don't say, okay, you're going to look like what we think Lichtenau looked like in the 16th century, you must move like this. What we do is we say, how does your body naturally imbibe this fight? Then the next logical step from there 
is how does your character's body imbibe the fight? But if we haven't taught them how their body imbibes the fight, how can we possibly teach them what's required of their character? So an actor has to know how a fight feels in their own body, how it feels to move and attack and defend in their own skin before they can use their imagination, which is the actor's most powerful tool, to imagine what that fight feels like for someone else, that character that they're portraying. Of course, this conversation then spun Marcus up. That that brings me on to one of my my pet peeves, uh, and uh, this is where this is where David and I first connected uh, on a forum. Where one of the things that oh it it sends me to tears <laughs> is when you watch someone act 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 act, and then fight fight fight, and then back to act 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 act. They totally yeah. lose the character. I mean, I'm not saying that the fight choreography is bollocks. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that they've lost. The character, they've lost the personality of that actor, the personality of that character during the fight. And it annoys the hell out of me. If if for the whole play, your character has a limp in your left leg, and then all of a sudden, during the choreography, it's not there. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is what I, what I said on Facebook about how I hate seeing act, 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 fight, 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 act, 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 because they get in fight choreographers, or obviously not violence designers, um, they get in fight choreographers who put a really nice piece on the stage but don't include the characters, they just include the actors. You see, theatre is a very collaborative art form. And while we violence designers are often the top stage combat professional in any given production, we are not the only artist that has a contribution to make to the violence. We have to take into account the physicality of the actor. If the fight doesn't look natural in their bodies, it will never look good. But we also have to hear and understand the character that they're creating for the rest of the play. Imagine Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, the character of Sir Andrew Agachik. He is a a bumbling, sometimes braggadocia, cowardly character, and he has a comic duel with with Viola, who of course is is, uh, dressed as a a boy uh, for most of the show. This fight can be done with with Sir Andrew as either a complete coward, shaking in his boots, literally. It could also be done with him being a very boastful but completely incompetent fighter. Now, if the actor has played the character one way for most of the show, and you choreograph it another, or the opposite, then we're going to have a conflict in the character that the audience sees. It's not going to be organic to the production. So you have to talk to the actor, talk to the director, give them options. Stumack even mentioned that once we understand who that actor is and and how they move and how they fight and their tendencies, we can give them options. Does this mean that the character designs the fights? Probably not. There's a, as we know as designers, there's a lot of factors that go into selecting any specific move. First of all, if you're doing a historical fight, your actors may well have never seen the style that you're trying to recreate. But they also may not be aware of how specific fight techniques convey character, convey tone, and the specific illusions that are necessary for the theater in which you're operating. I am not suggesting that 
all of us should collaboratively come up with choreography. There are choreographers who do that, and that's great. If that's your jam, by all means do that if you have the time. But I am saying that the actor should have some agency in deciding how that character fights. They need to have some input in developing their fight personality. But then, Stewart took the conversation one level deeper. Not only is the actor and their fighting a character in a story, but the manner in which their weapon interacts with the other person's weapon becomes a character in the story. Now, if we start to see it like that, oh, it changes everything. I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are. Some people are not. Um, One of the things about those movies is that they decided that the ring should be a character, or it's kind of became a character as they wrote it into the story. And the question that the Tolkien specialist asks us, is it Shippy? He asks us, is, is, the, is the ring and the power that it gives a person, is that desire for evil control something that comes from within the person, or is it something that the ring imposes upon the person? And so by writing it such that the ring has a power that imposes that desire upon someone who is otherwise good, the ring has power now, mm-hmm. and it has a personality. And so we can see the same with our weapons and our blades. Is the weapon a thing that I am simply fighting with, or as the weapon engages with my opponent's weapon, has it got a personality of its own? And that's where Hema comes in, because if they're fighting with a 14th or a 16th or a 17th century fighting style, if it's from Italy or Germany or Spain, it will have a different personality. Right. Now, unless the character understands the personality of that kind of fight, they can't manifest the personality. And so all those people said to me when Troy came out, that movie, you should go and see Troy, you'll love it. It's got these amazing sword fights. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I thought, we'll see. And I went and watched it, and I went... Uh, That's about what I thought it would be. (laughs) Pretty bland, pretty two-dimensional. When they reference that you've studied under someone, right? let's say that someone was Scottish, then you should possibly be fighting with a Scottish or Highland style or with the character progression of what you've had. Also, it brings the character of your fight because you studied under, you know... um, Whatever. So and so out, and so and so. The, uh, yeah, but so if if it says there that you know, like if you, you've you've just come back from France, let's say we're doing something like the recruiting officer or something, mm-hmm. right? and the characters just come back from France, they've been in the wars, uh, and they've been fighting with the Prussians. So therefore, his Polish saber is going to be great. So if you're going to be fighting, and they bring out basket tilted back swords or whatever, then if he goes into a, a Polish stance, something one of those beautiful high forms that they have, then is it silver? No, the other guy can totally fight in silver. That'd be great. But if right. this guy's fighting in the, in the polar style, then obviously, yeah, right. again, because because it's a conversation, yeah. it's a conversation and an argument. So the actions that they're doing, the, the reposts, the guards, the wards, the attacks, are not the same language. Mm-hmm. They're speaking most of the language, which means it gives you the opportunity for someone to stuff up. And that is where the character comes into the fight. You just go in and go, whoa, I'm totally not going to make that. I'm out of the way now. Right. And then get back That's in. Right. They speak in, in, in dialogue, they speak in English, but they might have an accent. I love that idea of the, the weapon or the style being the accent. It reminds me of the movie uh, Rob Roy, great film with, uh, with 
Tim Roth and, and Liam Neeson have that fight where Liam Neeson is using the uh, the basket-hilted claymore, the back sword, and Tim Roth is using uh, basically a cut-and-thrust rapier, kind of a, a little bit more of a, a, a later version, but a, a swishy-pokey sword uh, rather than uh, the big uh, slashing weapon that, that Rob Roy is using. You guys familiar with that fight? It's a brilliant fight. It's one of my favorite theatrical fights because mm-hmm. it... Cause it, it it really shows the difference between cut and thrust weapons versus thrusting weapons. Although, yes, a rapier can be both a cut and thrust weapon, totally. But the way that a lot of choreography is done is the weapon is secondary yeah. to the choreography. So if you don't understand the language and the accent of the weapon, then the choreography doesn't match. People go, oh, that's a bit weird. What's going on? Now, yeah. is in Rob Roy, could it be more historically accurate? Yes. But does it get across the point and does it carry the characters forward? Does it carry the story forward? Does it end awesome? Yes. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. When um, I made the mistake earlier this year of going back to one of my favourite teenage movies, Kickboxer with, with Van Damme, that was a mistake. Um, so the, the main reason it was a mistake, apart from everything, was um, <laughs> watching the fights... Right, seeing this guy fight, there was no kickboxer in there. It was just a karate dude doing the splits in the air, pulling faces, doing more karate. Right. Even though he was supposedly had been trained to do kickboxing. Mm-hmm. So the final fights, they missed something very special. And there was an ignorance about it back then. It was the 1990s. It was, you know, there was a lot of ignorance in the early 90s and late 80s around martial arts and specific stuff. And karate was it. And Van Damme could do the splits on chairs, so why the hell not? Right. And, and, and it still misses the storytelling point. Mm-hmm. And that was okay because I think its, it's audience and its target was very different to who we would want to target today. You look at, I always call HEMA an academic sport. We, we target thoughtful, intellectual, analytical people. That's They're true. the kind of people we get in. And that's great. That's, that's fantastic. And, and so what it does is it provides a greater and deeper intellect, lots of logic and lots of thought. And it also gets people active who might otherwise not be active. So <laughs> as an exercise physiologist, I'm very happy with that. Now, now if, if we want to take those thinking people into a movie or into a theatre to watch a piece of fiction that is designed to transport them, it has to address things thoughtfully. Yes. And that's what I think we're hearing here is if we have someone who is um, who is German, they should have some kind of German-esque attitude to how they fight. Right. And, yeah, and that makes sense. I, 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 see, I see no problem with that at all. Right. Um, I, I, I think following on and going through that is that from a from a humorist point of view, you're going to go, dude, that's Maya. That's fantastic. Right. From yes. a from a from a standard audience point of view, are they going to know that it's Maya? No. Mm, no. Probably not. Are they going to see some really cool moves? Yes. No. So either way, it's a win. Right. And, and because that... the, the average the average punter doesn't care whether it's historical. They don't care whether it's you know specifically to the play, um, or, or to the plate, or to the master, or to the treatise, or to whatever. They want to see a show, and they want to see something that engages them. And now I'm not not saying that all fights that are put in a theatrical context should be these awesome things. Like one, there was one that we did with um, uh, with the Melbourne Theatre Company, and it was uh, Cruel and Tender, where um, the character is a, is a general, 
uh, he's been overseas. He comes back, and uh, his wife and he have been arguing over letters. And the first thing he just walks in, just backhands her and smacks her over a couch. And that's his first entrance. Now that is giant for the character. You understand this guy is an absolute bastard. Um, and then that goes through, and that travels through. But that's quick, quick piece of action. You could have turned that into him grabbing her and dragging her, and you know, pushing yeah. her and stuff. Also, yeah. you, you totally could have done that. Sure. It didn't need it. What it needed was something short, sharp, and succinct. Right. And from right. that moment, the whole audience hates him, him, and you're waiting for him to die. You're totally you're just begging for it. You're like, when he finally gets poisoned at the end, and his face falls into his birthday cake, the the whole audience erupts in just like yeah. just, just cheers, like yes, you deserve that. That's to me is what the conversation of sword play, the, the fight personality, what we can bring when we bring Hema to the stage, that's what we can do. Get the whole audience riled up to really that's want right. the dude to die. Or to win, or to whatever. whatever. Like, it should embody, embody the journey of the character in such a potent way, but not a drawn-out way. It should be articulate and precise and beautiful. And artistic. Yes, designed. And designed. Exactly. It, should be, it should be violent and it should be designed. Hmm. You know? <laughs> so, right. so, so having said that, I, I don't mean that all theatrical stage fights should be just quick, succinct movements. Again, yeah. it comes down to a real fight would be over uh, early and whatever. You still have to tell the story of the characters and the, and the, the weapons have to have the conversation and all the stuff that we've discussed on this podcast today. Right. But don't feel that you have to fill space. Right. That's right. You fight the fight that needs fighting, no less and no more. But when it comes to style, I have to admit, I like Hollywood swashbuckler as a, as a style. Give me an epi-bladed rapier. I love it. it. It's campy, it's silly, and I love it. Not everything has to be historical to be, to be fun and entertaining, but I think it needs to be a specific choice rather than the only option we're given. It's the default position of people who are bringing fights in any theatrical context. So by, by, by bringing that little bit more of humor, that little bit more of accuracy, that little bit more of history, we take that from being a default position into being a specialist and unique position, right. which sits within the play. Well, okay, we're going to wrap this episode up here. I mean, I talked to them for over an hour, and I could go on talking with them all night. Hopefully, one day I'll make my way down to uh, uh, Melbourne and be able to, to sling some steel with them and, and share a beer and talk all night. But uh, really great stuff these guys uh, have to say about the integration of HEMA into theatrical sword work and about how to incorporate the character and the actor into the personality of the fight. As always, if you found this information useful, please take a minute to review the podcast on iTunes and give me a five-star rating if you can. That moves my feet up the rankings and helps other people find me. You can also find The Lab on Facebook at facebook.com slash violencelab. You can ask questions or leave comments for me there or on the website by clicking the Ask David link on the menu bar. You can subscribe for regular email notifications about new blog posts or podcast episodes or new content by clicking the uh, Lab Reports tab in the top right corner of the website. Once again, thanks for joining me. I look forward to talking with you next week. Good luck on your Hotspur Challenge fights. I can't wait to see what you come up with. Until next time, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com.